Welcome to E-Commerce Made Simple, a podcast created by Adjust Media. Each week, we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs like you to share their stories and backgrounds on how they've achieved success in their e-commerce business and the lessons that they've learned that will make your e-commerce journey as simple as possible. I'm your host, Uri Weinberger. In this episode, you'll learn how to switch your e-commerce store from a wholesale model to a direct-to-consumer model, why gating offers via email is a successful strategy for growing your email list and sales, and finally, why paid media isn't necessarily the best tool in your toolbox to maximize conversions. Joining us today is Susan Bradley, serial entrepreneur, online educator, and owner of Sock Doggo, a, comp- a company specializing in fun socks for people who really love their pups, located out of Ontario, Canada. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So do you want to uh, jump into telling us a little bit about your business? Uh, what got you to where you are today, your journey, and where you're at and where you see yourself going? <laughs> well, which business, I guess, is how it goes. You know, and I know we've uh, we've talked for years, I think, over Facebook and known each other for a long time. But I think that when I met you, Yuri, I owned a Wee Squeak, a little brand of uh, shoes that make noise. And that actually was my second business, but my first business that was strictly e-commerce. And so way back in the day, I, I had a retail business, which had several locations and uh, was a bricks and mortar business that I sold in 2010. And then I actually ended up purchasing a Wee Squeak in, I'm trying to think what year I purchased it, can't remember. But shortly after I sold my business, I purchased Wee Squeak. And uh, at the time that I purchased it, it was mostly a, a business that sold wholesale to majors in, in the US mostly, but some in Canada. And uh, after a, a period of time, a couple of years, it became very apparent that uh, it was getting harder and harder to um, to sell wholesale. You know, retailers were struggling a little bit. And I still remember very clearly, and I think it was 2014, my mother, who was in her 70s at the time, came into my house and uh, in, in December and said that she had just completed all her Christmas shopping online. And I thought... That's a, that's a shift. Oh, I'm in big trouble here. <laughs> Uh oh! <laughs> so if my seventy-year-old mother can figure this out, I, you know, we got a problem. So anyway, that was kind of the pivot. That was the moment for me where I realized, okay, we have to stop chasing this. We have to stop doing trade shows all across the U.S. We have to stop investing so much time and money buying product for retailers who may or may not be able to purchase it. And so in that year, that right after that Christmas, we decided that we would uh, turn all our efforts, and we were a small team, maybe six or seven people, but we had a, a big warehouse in Texas, and uh, you know we did all our, our, our fulfillment ourselves, and we decided that we would take that year and make the shift and no longer pursue wholesale business and uh, try and build an audience and uh, build a business online. So and, when you originally purchased uh, WeSqueak, 
it wasn't didn't have an online presence. It was like even the wholesale portal when you were trying to find the buyers and the retailers, it was mostly offline brick and mortar. Right. Now it did have we did have a little I'm trying to think what like some some kind of website that I can't even remember now that you wouldn't even uh, recognize the name, but we did have uh, a website. So we did get some sales direct to consumer online, but you know, I think we had maybe two or 3000 fans on a Facebook page. We had a webmaster that cost a thousand dollars a month. I remember that. <laughs> and in, Times are changing. right. And so I think we, we got onto Shopify on 2013, but we really just decided, you know, this is it. This is where the future is. And if we keep doing this, like our shoe orders would be maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars, like a couple of containers at a time, several times a year. And, and you know, some of the majors just, they were difficult to, to work with. And I'm sure they were struggling too. But, you know, it wouldn't be unusual for them to just say, yeah, we're not taking it now. <laughs> Yeah, I find that uh, the background uh, and, and the journey of, of WeSqueak is, is somewhat opposite of the approach that a lot of entrepreneurs are taking today, where they launch their direct-to-consumer merchant store online, and then eventually, once they start getting traction, that's when they start to turn to wholesalers. Yes. you started wholesale. So right. what did that transition look like? It was, was scary. It, it, was it was scary. awful. So, so when we decided to do it, it was like cutting off a million dollars worth of sales, annual sales a year. That would give me nightmares. It did. Well, there were a lot of wine bottles in my recycling bin. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really scary. But I, it was pretty clear to me that uh, it was the first year ever that our sales were down. And it was pretty clear to me if we kept going on this path that, um, that we, I would lose everything. It was pretty clear, you know, because, uh, you know, a big warehouse, trade shows cost a fortune to go to, employees, and and yet you really couldn't count on the sales. And so I had my business that I sold before, I like to grow and sell businesses. <laughs> and my business that I had before, I had been very successful with direct uh, mail marketing. And so back in 2014, I thought, well, I'm just going to do that. I'm, I'm, you know, I bought a lot of courses. I bought a lot of online courses. I hung out a lot on Facebook. That's probably where I met, uh, you know, you and John and Phil, like all the people who started Facebook groups back then. I also started one, and and I tried to learn. Like I tried, to, I thought there was a magic solution out there about how I could grow this business, and and really. I think I was looking for someone to save me or to tell me what to do. I'm sure you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of businesses turn to consultants or agencies or courses to try and attempt to find a solution for a business that may be hitting a roadblock. Yeah. So I, I totally relate to that. And that was, even though it doesn't, it's not really that long ago, it was in 2013, 2014, it was like it just wasn't nearly as evolved as it is now. And so what I realized was, hey, I, you know, nobody's going to save me. So get over yourself. Just figure out what the next right thing to do is. And because I had had a lot of success with direct mail, I thought, well, I'm just going to build my email list. And so in that year that I gave myself to turn things around, we, um, 
actually got Infusionsoft. How crazy was that? But but uh, <laughs> we built our email list by 14,000 people, which was great. No, 18,000, 18,000 people, uh, which was great. And we used email marketing and, um, and we actually gave up our warehouse, moved to 3PL. And, and really in that year, that was just the turning point. We, we, you know, I don't know, I think we did a couple hundred thousand dollars in sales, but it was like, it was like I won the lottery. <laughs> wow. So was the transition that, uh, that, that you're referencing, was it instant or was there like a slow transition between uh, the proportion of sales that wholesale brought in versus your direct to consumer as you were building up your email list? Oh, so it, it felt like it took a long time, but if you look at it, at it with hindsight, the transition period took about a year. Where we That's fairly up, quick, actually. Pretty quick, right? Yeah, where we built all those names. But, you know, I can remember clearly, and I, t- I talk to people about this now, our clients, that really you just have to become single-minded about the next right thing. And I can remember just waking up every morning thinking, okay, how do I get another 20 people on my email list? How do I get 100 people on my email list? Because I knew if I could reach out to them and uh, make them an offer, that 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 was my best, my straightest line to a sale. Got it. So you you heavily relied on email marketing. So your emphasis is clearly on list building. What were the vehicles or modes that, or or even channels that you used in order to to grow this list? Well, I think the first thing, and you know, we all love to hate them, but I had a pop up. You know, put a pop up up, and it was really simple, just a ten percent off. Uh, offer to use right away. And then I built an email funnel on the back of that pop-up. And so that that converted very well for us. And I had a goal of a thousand people uh, a month on that pop-up. Now, I didn't reach that goal in that year, but certainly did reach that goal. And I knew that that was a function of traffic. I'm really into the, I'm really into the data. Like I'm totally a numbers person. And so I knew that if I, you know, if I sent a thousand people to my website, I could pretty much count on, you know, 80 or 90 signing up. And that if I got them signed up onto my email list, then I had a really good chance of converting them. So that that was kind of my thinking there. But I knew I had to uh, had to find a lot of other ways to build my list. And so we did some giveaways, but we also did a lot of promotions that we kind of gated with the email list. So we would say, hey, you know, we're doing whatever, X, Y, Z. If you want to be the first to know, get on the list. And I would just be dropping links to my list everywhere. But it, it really worked. And so I would say one of the, the key pillars uh, for our success at WeSqueak was uh, was really that we we grew our list by at least three thousand people a month. That's great. And yeah. so when you when you were dropping links and driving traffic, which which channels were you using? Mostly Facebook at the time. Instagram was uh, relatively new, and I have to, in all honesty, I I didn't really take the time to learn it like I learned Facebook. And I have to say that even still, I find. Instagram, I mean, an, we used an opt-in for our, in our bio, for the bio link, and then we moved it to, you know, landing page with a bunch of different options. But 
I, I have to say that that I think that it, a lot of the things that we do on Instagram are often vanity. I don't see the conversions on Insta like I do on Facebook. I I actually agree with you there. We work with uh, a, a, a plethora of different clients and different verticals, and we find that Instagram is very hit or miss, even with just the placements when you're running uh, Facebook versus Instagram on the paid media side of things. For the most part, unless you're in a very visually appealing type of uh, product, it's it's very like the the results are a lot stronger on Facebook. The CPAs are lower. The ROAS is higher versus on Instagram. Usually, in verticals such as jewelry or juicing, right, like fresh pressed <laughs> juice, where things are very uh, like visually appealing, then Instagram tends to perform a little bit better. But for the most part, Facebook, at least at this point in time, does. I'm sure back in the day, it was conversion tracking oh, was yeah. probably off as well. Right. And and there weren't even, like, for a while, you couldn't even advertise on Insta. So, yeah, I think they added the placements in like yeah. 20. We have a few years. clients that uh, um, do very well converting converting people from Instagram. But what I would say is it's a much more manual process for them. It's a lot of DMing. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. And so you say that you are like very, very uh, enthralled in the numbers. You're very analytical. When you were driving the traffic to sign up for that email list, because you said you were uh, basically roadblocking people and gating people uh, from the offer unless they sign up for the list, are you looking at direct ROAS on Facebook or are you just looking at cost per lead at that point in time? So I, I actually didn't even get uh, that technical with leads. And so I know it's kind of interesting because you and I would approach this, I think, very differently. But for me, really all I use Facebook for or, or Instagram now is getting attention. And so I, I look at it as kind of a place where I can find my people and get them to come and visit my website. And so I never at WeSqueak advertised for a lead. And the only advertising I did for a purchase was um, was really just for dynamic retargeting. It wasn't ever for top of funnel or bottom of funnel. And so I found that I could, if as long as I could drive cheap, good quality traffic to my site, I could convert them. Like I could use all the other tools in my toolbox to convert them. And so it really different, I know, than a lot of the people that you work with. But I think even still, you know, even though we mostly went for view content uh, advertising, like a conversion, but the conversion was view content. Um, even still, you know, the cost of our purchase for on our account for a year would be between six and seven dollars. It would be cheap. But oh, that's I really, great. yeah, it was really all about the traffic, 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 get them on my email list, send them an email. We used some SMS marketing, probably one of the first, uh, you know, little Shopify stores to use SMS. We used that successfully too. Got it. So the, the majority, I, probably the vast majority of converting traffic was email SMS. Uh, yeah, it was email. Got it. Sure. And then you would use paid media in order to drive those lists and build those lists. Right? Yeah. And so, okay. and I'm, uh, you know, I know just because I am so data driven, I always knew 
that uh, the first visit was just, I just had to get that out of the way. It was just a roadblock. And I think our conversion rate on a first time visit was around 1%, which was actually pretty good. But, but we really had it down to a science. I think we knew that we had to get people back to the site. Now I think I'm trying to remember, I think it was like uh, four to seven times over, yeah. over three to five days. And if I could do that, that pool of people converted at 25%. Like it was just crazy. And so all my effort was put into finding the right people and then uh, using warm audiences, showing them the very same thing that they had seen and just getting them back. And it, my, my thinking was that I really just needed to get them back to the site enough times that they were in the right place where they could go find a credit card or take a few minutes to actually um, complete checkout. Yeah, I think that's a giant misconception with a lot of e-com owners. They're just looking at conversion rate in totality versus the segmentation between first time versus returning customers. On average, you're going to need six, seven, maybe 12 touch points, depending on price point, in order for that user to convert. And so it's it's a very smart approach to use your organic and owned channels, uh, such as your email, such as SMS, maybe push notifications in order to get in front of them within within that time frame at the correct frequency. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean... When I look at it, when I go through, you know, the I once a month, I, I actually work with some of our inner circle members one on one, and that's one of the very first things I look at is we go into their Google Analytics and and we need to see uh, what their conversion rate is for first time visitors and then what their conversion rate is for returning visitors, and generally it's at least double. It's often triple, and then if we go look at what their conversion rate is for um, people who have come from an email, like that's usually six or seven percent. Like it's it's a huge huge difference in the quality of traffic as you go through. And so my thinking is, you know, I'm not good at detail. I often don't see detail. And so if I look at it from a a broad approach, it's like okay, I want I want a minimum of say 10,000 web visitors a month, and I want 3,000 of them bare minimum to be returning visitors. And then I, I figure out how many leads I want a month and I work on that. And I know that a lot of my funnels will pick up sales. And then I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty much committed to always running an event every month, something that's usually gated. <laughs> And uh, running some sort of event every month and then hitting people with what we call mini campaigns every week. And that's all I do. I don't stress about like the, the details when it comes to a campaign or, a, or an, an ad. I just kind of look at the big picture. Nice. When you're building out those original, not the original touch points, but the first two or three emails that are being sent out once a user joins the list. What type of messaging do you typically like to focus on? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I guess the first email that we send them is uh, generally just a text-only email, and it gives them whatever it was that they signed up for. So if they signed up for the pop-up, even though they get the code on the pop-up, the first email that would go out would have, hey, here's your code. 
<laughs> and plain and, and it simple. Would look, huh? Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Yeah, but a lot of people can't take action right then. And so that that email converts really well. And then we often uh answer concerns like so with my shoes one of the big concerns was well my kid's gonna love the squeaking but like like can you make it stop and so we would talk about (laughs) is it gonna drive me up the wall oh yeah it is but it's so cute um and so that would be an email that we would send out and then we might send out uh like a little video of a, a child putting their shoes on for the first time and uh you know, just so excited, like, you know, a real benefit or a real feeling. But, but that's, those are, would be the first three or four. And we would, contrary to what most people think you should do, we would hit people hard and fast with those emails. So I've, like, it's those touch points we talk about. So we would probably send one email a day for five days. And, and what's important to note is you're not pushing product down their throats. No. Right, you're you're surrounding them with different uh, programs that you run, or messaging, or surrounding the business, or concerns that they may have, or objections before they even have them, right? And, yeah. and then you're able to come across not as a pushy salesman, but more so like, hey, we're a bigger brand. Here's what you can expect from our products. So this is why you should trust us. We're experts in whatever field it may be, whether it be in shoes or socks or uh, any any vertical. Right? Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that we're a bigger brand. And because what we realized over time, what I've realized over time is that people want to buy from people. And and so we get a better response to the ugly pictures. <laughs> the, <laughs> the stuff I took, the pictures I would take from my cell phone. Like I, when I would go to our 3PL, I would go several times a year. And, um, you know, they would always have stuff pulled aside from me that wasn't right like, you know, or had been a return or I don't know, some, for some reason we couldn't sell it. And I would pile it all on a table and it was just a hot mess picture. And that, and I would take a picture and be like, I'm back and look what I've got. And so I would, I would post that picture and say, Hey, so in the next couple of days, I'm going to have a couple pop-up flash sales and we'll sell these items. Like pictures like that got a huge, huge response. Like, the, the, not the more organic, yeah. n- non-Photoshop, Adobe Illustrator type of yeah. creative. Yeah, like the ones warts and all, those pictures really, those images really seem to get a response in email as well. Wow, that's great. So uh, fast forward to today. <laughs> How did you go about launching Sock Doggo? And how did you identify that opportunity? Oh, badly. So so I sold WeSqueak the very last day of 2018. And uh, it always had been my goal to sell that company. I had wanted to do it in five years. I actually got an offer in four years. And uh, and it seemed like a a good time. And, um, And, you know, five minutes after I sold it, I was like, oh, crap. You know, I also have a training business, which is, takes the lion's share of my time. And uh, I had used WeSqueak for years to show people what I was doing. And so I found myself without a business. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to open my mouth and start another store. And because most of the people I work with 
are, you know, in that under $100,000 a year sales, I thought, oh, I'm just going to show everybody exactly what I do, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff to the first $50,000. And I, uh, I originally, I knew I wanted to have a sock company because in my very first business, uh, <laughs> I knew that, that the money was in heads and feet. <laughs> everyone, has, everyone has feet hopefully yeah. yeah when you're in apparel the money is in heads and feet and so I knew I wanted a sock company and uh, I originally thought I would have socks for the whole family and this just goes to show you as experienced as I am like I've made a ton of mistakes with this new business and a part of me sharing all of this is to show other people that uh like, this is just how it goes. So don't beat yourself up too badly. It's hard. What we do is hard. Anyway, I soon realized I couldn't afford all the socks I needed with the minimums to, for the whole family. And so then I thought, well, I have to, I really have to have a niche for this. And so we decided on um, uh, particular breeds of dogs, which, you know, in hindsight, is that what I would choose again? I'm not sure. Um but that's what I did. And so I just announced it to uh, our, our followers, to my audience and our members. And, and off we went. And I, I pretty much hid in a corner for about three months after that, thinking, oh, if I fail, I'm just really going to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. It's still a work in progress, though, correct? Well, it is. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm about 25% of the way there. Not quite. Well, and uh, but it's really an accomplishment. Well, I don't know. I feel like it should, and I'm sure everyone does. I feel like it should be uh, further faster. I think there are some key mistakes I've made, but what I've been really honest and upfront about, and it just is the way it is, is that I feel like I have about ten minutes a week to spend on this business, and I could, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm in the position where I could throw lots of money at it, uh, and you know, buy my sales. But yeah. the problem with that is, is that that's not teaching anybody anything, because most people, the people that uh, we work with, often are doing what I'm doing part time, they often have jobs or part time jobs, or they have kids at home, and they don't have unlimited funding. So I've tried to be very careful about doing it on a part-time basis, which has been like really easy because I'm busy, but I'm not spending a pile of money on it too. So would you say this is a, a different approach than what you took with WeSqueak when you originally started to build out the lists? Um, because I guess that that business itself, WeSqueak, uh, as you were as you were mentioning, was running for years before you had a successful wholesale business and you just wanted to transition to direct to consumer to build out lists. Yeah, I felt like there was uh, there was as much to lose with We Squeak as there is. I mean, here with Sock Doggo, it's more my pride. If I if I don't, I won't fail. But you know, if I did with We Squeak, you know, bankruptcy was a real thing. <laughs> but what I would say with We Squeak is that um, I I probably spent. I probably spent 50 hours a week working at WeSqueak. And so when you are that immersed in it and you are not afraid to try things because you have nothing to lose, um, you can do a lot with your business organically. And so a lot, a lot of those names that we were able to lead gen, I didn't pay a dime for. 
And but I showed up every day and tried a bunch of things, paid attention to what worked and, and did more of that. Now with Sock Doggo, I'm unable to do that because I am um, probably 90% of my time is spent on um, our, our membership program on helping our members. And so, uh, so I'm less connected than I was with Week, and I am less able to generate traffic and leads without spending money. Of course, that makes sense. Um, in terms of the approach you take to make the money that you do on SockDoggo, what does that funnel look like? Same thing. Same thing, really. I, um, you know, I focus on traffic first because it's a new business. I focus on, um, like, my goal is 3,000 uh, web visitors a month. I am very strong, strong email marketer still. I would say 35% of every sale we've had has been a last click on an email. Focused on lead generation, our email list is uh, just slightly more than 5,000, which I think is high for a new business. Um, and, and, you know, the, and pay attention to what works and do more of that. And so we have, uh, we have this training in my program called The Perfect Giveaway, and it's really a, kind of a more targeted, authentic giveaway that has an email funnel on the back of it. And uh, <laughs> so I know that 25% of my sales have come from leads that I got through that. And so I have done, I believe, four of those giveaways, which have helped uh, build our list significantly, but have also contributed a lot to our sales. And so I don't know, it's, it's kind of the same as everybody else. I'm just trying to focus on what works and do more of that and stay consistent. Yeah, I think, uh, the consistency is is very important. Like as you've noted, like when you have time and resources to put towards growing the business, obviously there's like an input output ratio, right? So you're yeah, way more time on it. You're putting fifty hours a week on We Squeak, um, and and you were able to squeeze a lot more out of it. Um, when you're running these, what what is holding you back from running more of these uh, smaller? giveaways or, or like organic promotions to build the list? So one of the big mistakes I made, and so anyone listening to this, like listen up here, or maybe you already know this, I already knew it and still did it. But what happened was, and and you, you are probably the expert at this, Yuri, is that it costs a certain amount of money to get a customer. And so we, uh, you know, I, I went and bought inventory for uh, people who love Dashens. That was the first breed that we uh, that we bought inventory for. And I really have one product. It's really a one product store. And the big mistake I made was that I didn't quickly get a second product for that very same customer. And, uh, and so all my money was spent I actually just did a little case study on this. All my money was spent to acquire a customer, got the customer, and then didn't come back to them with something else they could buy. Like, how dumb is that? Yeah, so you didn't have too many repeat purchase opportunities. No, my returning customer rate is like 4%. <laughs> so how did you how did you make an audible? Because I'm looking on your site now and I see that there's clearly more than one product. Well, just started. And so I um, I think, and everything takes a long time, you know, when you manufacture your own products. And so we are 
not sold out, but we are certainly low on inventory with our very first product. And so what we did was uh, we have uh, we have now developed product for four more breeds. And all that product is coming at the same time, and it should be coming within, as we record this, within a couple of weeks. And so my goal right now, and, and what I'm working on right now, is list building for those breeds. And so we are doing this perfect giveaway times four right now. And so hopefully we'll be able to uh, lead Jen a couple of um a couple of thousand leads in the next couple of weeks. And the other thing that uh, we're working on is a lot of collaboration for the fall with, uh, with people, not necessarily people who are influencers in the space, but with people who have an audience of buyers in the space. How, how are you identifying uh, the, the potential businesses or individuals who who would be good collaborators and be so in all honesty, I'm paying somebody 15 bucks an hour to go find them. And I gave them a spreadsheet oh, <laughs> of all the things that are important. And so right now we have an amazing collaboration uh, coming up at the end of September with a, um, with a company that also makes products for wiener dogs and they have designed a box of socks for us. So I'm looking forward to that. And then we have a lot of uh, small players identified that are um, like, there's one that sells dog shampoo. And then there are some that sell gifts for dogs. And so my hope is that we'll be able to collaborate with some of those people, even if it's something as simple as sponsoring an email for each other. Makes sense. Yeah. Would you ever uh, consider going back into wholesale, knowing that you have so much experience in it? <laughs> so let me tell you, I am never slugging my stuff around the country for a trade show again, but I would consider uh, a wholesale portal on the site. Gotcha. I think that's a whole different, you know, when I, when we sold, you know, millions of dollars of wholesale product many, many years ago, it was all very different, right? You met with the buyer, they, they placed an order, then you ordered the product, and then the product was delivered, and six months had gone by, and then you shipped the product, and then you waited 30 to 60 days for people to pay you. And of course, some didn't. And particularly when you were dealing with the majors, there were always a lot of rules. Like I can remember being charged, um, I think it was $700 a day, uh, because my product was late and sitting on a dock and they wouldn't take it in until I paid up. <laughs> you know, probably that learned that of, the hard way. Right? That kind of baloney. And so now with wholesale, I think that the world has changed so much that it's not unusual uh, for whole people buying in stores to buy very much closer to the season. So I want something that arrives in my store in two weeks. I'm completely prepared to pay for it with my credit card. And in fact, I'm just going to order it online. And so places like Fair and Tundra that are kind of marketplaces for retailers, I think they're actually genius. And they actually make sense to supplement a uh, direct-to-consumer business, their sales, because it doesn't create a whole big overhead to get those sales, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, back on the, so, sorry, I'm jumping around here, That's but okay. back on, uh, like supplier, uh, like on the supplier trends, how mm -hmm. did you go about sourcing the product, your designs? Uh, what did that process look like for you? 
Oh, it's messy, messy. So uh, we, uh, I have a member, a long-term member of my inner circle who uh, has a business. Uh, it's American Doxy. His name is Mark. And he actually is a graphic designer. And so he designed our very first socks. And we were able to connect with uh, Nathan from Sourceify. And they helped us find a manufacturer in China and looked after the manufacturing. And that was really a good process. They did a great job. And so that was, uh, that's how we got our very first socks. But more recently, you know, one of the things that I have struggled with, Yuri, is I actually don't have a dog. I am wildly allergic to dogs. And, uh, and so I've struggled with authenticity through this process. And, uh, and so it was hard uh, for me to uh, use my voice in email or on social media. But I have a, again, a longtime client. Uh, she is... Her name is Isabella Urshin. She's a French expat and she lives in Istanbul. And a few years ago, she started a social enterprise where she um, she actually hires women in Istanbul who are basically not employable. They, most of them are refugees from Syria. So they have, uh, you know, socially they are unable to get regular employment and uh, they have children. Most of them have children, and, and so they have to either bring their children to work or work at home. And so Isabella set up this little company. It's called Sector 7. They make her products. She has a website called Baby Moss, which knits uh, beautiful, knits and crochets beautiful toys. And uh, she trains these women. She hires them. She trains them. She also brings in people to help them with financial things and just helps them assimilate into the into their new life in in Istanbul, and uh, I uh, I actually was able to collaborate with her, and they are now manufacturing our socks and packing oh, them. Wow. I know. In fact, I just got some pictures this morning of the first six thousand pair, and uh, and so that has done a couple of things. It's number one, it's helped give me something to talk about that I am incredibly passionate about. I mean, I. You know, anything I can do to help that business grow is like, I have time for that. I've been working with Isabella for probably three or four years. So I've watched this evolve. It's been great. So it's given me a little bit of a voice that uh, makes me feel confident when I talk to our audience at Sock Doggo. But the other thing is, it's not just another sock company now. Yeah, it adds a layer of social responsibility yeah. and giving back that people can get behind yeah. and support. Yeah. And so I finally put on my big girl pants and I did an about us page <laughs> for Sock Doggo. And I talk about this mission and uh, and I'm posting pictures. And some people won't like it, but I think a lot of people will. And so I think it's, um, you know, our, I, we have enough inventory coming now that we could potentially sell $50,000 or reach the $50,000 goal later this year um, or, or not. I don't know whether we will for sure, but at least now we have enough inventory to do it. But I feel for the long term, this is a business that is going to be profitable and is going to have a great supply chain and a great story. So I feel confident that a year from now, we're going to have a different conversation. Yeah. Of course, and and so part of part of the this story that is now uh, 
you know, built into the to the fibers of your business can can be found within the our story page. But are there plans to build that in within, let's say, the email funnel, the welcome flows? Um, are you going to be not not advertising this, but how are you going to communicate this to your clients before they purchase? Is that something that's even on the radar? Absolutely. So we are we have already started with uh, Sam some campaigns. Uh, and and actually had uh, I think three campaigns that are just talking about the social enterprise and the socks and uh, you know just just how it's more than just a sock company. But going forward, we'll have to switch out our funnels and start including part of that. You know, another mistake that I made, if we're just being completely honest here, was what I didn't think about when I decided to make socks for people who love dogs, is that their breed of dog, is that it was like setting up a bunch of different verticals. And I'm actually struggling with this as as we talk, because my new lead and welcome funnel uh, really needs to cover all different breeds of dog lovers, yet needs to send them to the appropriate page. And so we have done a lot of work with links. Like, I, I don't, I know you're a fan of Clavio, right? Correct. Yeah, so so you can find out a lot by the links people click. And so we've built a lot of segments based on links that people click. And I think we will overcome this. But that uh, when I was deciding to do this, I never realized. I didn't think about it long and hard enough to realize that it was like I was going to have to acquire like just because I came out with a new breed of socks doesn't mean the first people are going that's not a second item. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go out and find a new customer again, Susan. Duh. Yeah, I think yeah. that one way, uh, just just speaking from an email perspective, is if you, I, I know that you do have a pop up on the website. You're able to put in uh, different attribute qualifiers on the pop up. So, yes. like, are you shopping for a Dachshund? Are you shopping for a Golden Doodle? Like, which dog do you have? And then obviously segment out the the flows based off of those a- attributes. Yeah, that's super smart. And are, do you use the Clavio uh, pop-ups or do you yes. use? Okay. Uh, we, we have dabbled. It depends on the client. Yeah. We've dabbled with, uh, I, I think it's called Pixel Pop versus just a regular like Clavio pop-up. Uh-huh. Uh, Pixel Pop is a lot uh, more customizable in terms of the pop-up that, yeah. that goes on your side. There's different templates. Clavio is a little bit more basic. But uh, it, there's a lot more functionality if you're using Clavio for yeah. segmentations and flows and all of that. So. Yeah, it's interesting because I've always been a fan of Just Do Know because of, again, the data that I can get, the reporting. But there are a lot of, oh, and also the tab, that side tab that Just Do Know has, it just converts really well. But uh, there's a lot to be said for uh, the things that you can do with that Clavio pop up. And so I'm on the fence. On that yeah. one, I think from your story that um, and and your journey and you know everything that's led up to today, it's important for our listeners to realize that ecom is completely fluid. You're just because you're launching a business or a website right now doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look like that next week, next month. Definitely not. You know, six months down the line, um, and that when you're launching new products or or bringing in restocks or whole new lines. You have to end up changing uh, or adjusting your entire communication strategy around that, right? So what the opt-in looks like is going to look different than what it did when you only had one product as well. Yeah. And and would you say too, like, you know, be prepared to fail many, many times. 
Absolutely. Fail, fail, win. Fail, 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 (laughs) win-win. Otherwise, there's no progression, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Cool. And then in terms of um, like resources, right? When I'm sure (laughs) at at the moment where you're at right now is a lot different than when you were running WeSqueak. You had an entire, I don't know if you have a team now. I want you to touch upon that. But what are your thoughts in terms of like, Originally, you had WeSqueak and you were running a, a full warehouse. And then you made a change. You went to direct to consumer, you went to 3PL, which means that you probably had different requirements for who's working on your team yeah. versus where you're at now. Yeah. Um, what, like, can you speak a little bit about how those resources shifted over time? Yeah. So at WeSqueak, we had. Um we had uh, someone to look after customer service exclusively because when you're dealing with kids' shoes, there are a lot of our, our return rate was four percent on our on shoes for size, and so we had a, a, a customer service person. I also had a person that just looked after email and uh, the webs any changes on the website and someone for that. We also had a person that looked after Facebook just Facebook posting. Of course, she was very part-time. And uh, we had a person who looked after Instagram, and we had actually a really amazing Instagram brand rep program. It was very profitable for us and was like a real source of free leads and uh, free advertising, free marketing for sure. And so she looked after that. And so that's what we had at WeSqueak and, of, and of course, our 3PL and then at uh, Sock Doggo, I have uh, somebody looking after Facebook and Instagram so that we have posts every day. And then I have a second person who is a graphic designer who sets up the, uh, the campaigns for me in Clavio and uh, designs our socks and uh, just generally does like some tasking on the website. The website is not perfect by far, but the other thing help that I have had uh, with Sockdoggo is Claudia Howard, who is a an expert at Store Tasker, who is a coach in our Inner Circle program and a good friend, really, has become a friend over the years. She has sponsored the project. And so Claudia has really done a lot of the behind-the-scenes work on the site. Now, the site's not perfect uh, or even close. The site is just set up to see if we can sell socks. Um, but she's done a lot of the work for us on the site. And so I have way more help than the average person that is uh, setting up a site. But what I would say to you is I probably spend uh, an hour a week, maybe two hours at the most on Sock Doggo right now. Yeah. But if you were, if you, if you were to have been doing this, all these tasks yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. organic management, graphic design, web tweaking, like site tweaking, we're talking probably 20, 25 hours a week. Yeah. Right? But you know what? Yuri, I think I'd probably be at around $30,000 in sales. Yeah. So that's a balance, right? There's yep. there's definitely uh, an input <laughs> output ratio. Yeah. Um, but then again, right? Like every business is at their own stage and you, you've done fen- a phenomenal job to date, right? Like nobody can can question your track record and where you're at and you're teaching so many people online to um, to, to grow their stores, their online sales organically. 
Um, yeah. I, I really look up to you. For oh, thank you. Well, I feel like I've done a lot wrong. I've made a lot of mistakes, but what I have been is uh, open and, uh, <laughs> and I fess up when I've made a mistake and I'm really just doing it more than any, for more than any other reason is that to let people know that this is how it goes because there are just so many people out there and you know, you, we kind of hang out in the same circles that will uh, almost make you feel like there's something wrong with you or your product because they just, they make it look like it's instant success. or there were no bumps in the road and, and I feel, or they don't tell you what they spend to get their results. And, and I don't want people to feel like that because there are a lot of, I mean, there are some people that, you know, are going to struggle with e-com, but there are a lot of people that have great products. They just need a little help. And so if I can show them that somebody with all the experience I have is like still messing it up on the daily, <laughs> I think it will give them the confidence that they will get this, that it's really just, you know, it's effort in and understanding what works in your business and, and focusing on that. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, and I, I also, I want to add to that. I think that regardless of what stage your business is at, whether you're just starting, you've been in business for five years, you're doing 5K a month, 10K a month, 100K a month, there's always room for improvement. And you always need to rely, not rely, but look towards other resources to get inspiration and a little bit of a push to understand what you can do a little bit better. Yeah. And we would both agree, right? That nothing ever stays the same. Nothing. It's so fluid and dynamic. Uh, with that being said, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and connect with you? Yeah, uh, sure. Well, thank you for having me. My um, Mostly you'll find me on Facebook at the Social Sales Girls. The uh, The project is all, you know, I share a lot about our, our roadmap project in our Facebook group, the Roadmap to 50K on Shopify. And so that's probably the best place for people to connect with me, just to ask to join that group, get on our email list so you'll get weekly updates. And uh, I say hi to me when you come in. That's great. I'll definitely link all of your uh, social profiles and groups and pages uh, in the show notes below. Sounds thank you great. so much for the call, Susan. I appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. All the best. That wraps up episode four of e-commerce made simple. Each week we find e-commerce entrepreneurs who are willing to share their successes, challenges, and stories. So business owners like you can learn valuable lessons that will make your e-commerce journey as simple as possible. If you like what you heard today and would like to connect with either myself or the guests that we had on today's show, join our exclusive free Facebook community. Head on over to www.facebook.com slash groups slash e-commerce made simple, or simply hit the link in the show notes below. I'll catch you in the next episode.